I believe that there's a reason that Isaiah chapter 4 is in the Bible, and I believe that these verses are there to teach us, to edify us, and Lord, I pray that you would please help me, give me the words to say, Father, help me to be able to minister to your dear people as we look at this passage tonight, as we study the truth from your word, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Isaiah chapter number 6. And like I said, it's only 6 verses. And uh, we can do this quickly tonight. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's 6 verse chapters. So if we, if we can do this in, in 20 minutes or 30 minutes, uh, I'm going to try to drag it out as long as I can. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, but, you know, I want to give you some few, a few truths in regards to this. And, and we'll move on. And, and we'll call it good, okay? But uh, I want you to notice, we'll just begin at verse number 1. There's not really an outline. We're just going to go through the verses and, and try to take some truths out of it. Verse one says this, and in that day. Now, I want you to understand, the in that day that is being referred to is the day of God's judgment. And you got to understand, verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 4 is kind of the, it's a continuation or a conclusion to Isaiah chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 2, which we were studying uh, the weeks prior. He says, and in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, well, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Now, the, the, like, like I said, the verse is a continuation of the description of God's judgment that we saw in Isaiah chapter 3. Uh, the, the primary application uh, is that the land is going to be so ravished by war and men shall become so scarce so that seven women will be happy to share one man. I mean, the, the idea that God is saying is I'm going to send such a judgment and I'm going to bring such an army to destroy the land and there's going to be so many men that die. Because you know, whenever you have a major war and a major conflict, you end up having a, a lot more women in the population than the men. So he's saying, there's, there's going to be so few men around that seven women are going to say, hey, I'll be happy to be, you know, share you with seven other women as long as you're able to marry me. Now, uh, look, just turn a page over to Isaiah chapter 3, look at verse 1. Do you remember last week, we talked about uh, the picture of a nation that the Spirit of God has departed from? Remember we talked about three things. A nation that does not have God's power or God's presence in it has a lack of leadership, and it has a lack of liberty, and it has a lack of lowliness. Remember we talked about that last week. And if you look at verse 1, remember we are talking about the lack of leadership, or we are talking about the fact that there's a lack of good men. And uh, look at Isaiah chapter 3, look at verse 1. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away. Away. This is what God is taking away from the land as His judgment. He says, Doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. Talking about uh, resources from the land. But then He also says in verse 2 that He's going to take away the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. So God said, As part of my judgment, you're going going to have a lack of male leadership. And that's what we see in Isaiah chapter 4 in verse 1 when he says and in that day seven women shall take hold of one man saying we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. So the primary application is this. When God's judgment comes there will be so few men that women will be happy to share the same man between seven women. And not only that but they will be happy to pay their own way. They'll say, hey, I'll marry you, and you don't have to support me. You don't have to give me any money. You don't, I'll, I'll, I'll wear my own apparel. I'll buy my own clothes. Just please marry me. Now, here's what's interesting. The, the application we can make for today, I guess, is this. This verse should highlight for us how crazy... 
society is in, in uh, 2014. Because, you know, here's what God says His judgment is. God says when things are not going well, when things are not going good, when my blessing is not among you, in fact, when my curse is among you, He said things are going to be so mad that a woman is going to actually look at a man and say, will you marry me and not support me? I'll support myself. I'll go work a job. I'll have my own account with my own money. And I'll buy my own clothes. And I'll pay half the rent. And I'll take care of myself. See, God looks at that and says, that is the judgment of God. You know what we call that today in America? A normal life. That's what the average girl is being raised to think today. You don't need some man to support you. Do you understand that that's actually the judgment of God? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let me just show you a few things. 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Bible teaches that, remember the story in the Garden of Eden? Remember when God punished uh, mankind because of their sin? Remember He told the serpent that He would, he would crawl on His back or lay on, lay on His back as part of the judgment there. And He told the woman that she would have pain in giving birth to a child. And He told the man that His punishment was that He was going to work by the sweat of His brow. And today, you have women trying to take the punishment from the man and say, No, actually, honey, you know, today there's actually a movement of men called stay-at-home dads. Where the wife goes to work and the man stays home and takes care of the kids. And, and you know, usually we preach it this way, like, you know, we preach against the guys. But listen, ladies, you know, you, you really ought to think this through. I don't see any man trying to say, hey, hey, honey, let me take that labor pain for you. You know what I mean? Like, you, here's your punishment, ladies, for sin. Labor pain. I, don't, I didn't take that from my wife. You know what I mean? I was there, but she was doing the pain. But then today we have these women that they're trying to take the man's punishment. No, I'll, I'll go get a degree. I'll go work. You know, so now you're going to have the labor pains and you're going to support. It's, it's craziness. God says it's the judgment of God when a woman says, I'll support myself. But in America, girls in school are being taught and brainwashed. You don't need a man. You don't need anybody. You go work for yourself. And to me, it's craziness because God says that's the judgment. That is not how God uh, wanted it to be. Are you there in 1 Timothy chapter 5? Look at verse 14. And look, I know what I'm saying right now. It's totally crazy by our standard society. But let me tell you something. I'm not ashamed of the Word of God. And if anybody's crazy, this society's crazy. They think we're crazy. Hey, the Bible says about the apostles that they turned the world upside down. And you know what? This world needs to be turned upside down. Because we live in a society today where people are more interested and they care more about making sure that animals are not harmed when being tested with shampoo than they care about a child being aborted. Do you understand what I'm saying? We live in a society today that looks at right and it calls it wrong and looks at wrong and it calls it right. They look at, you know, they'll look at us and they'll say, oh, you know, you're, you're a male chauvinist. Your wife stays home and she cares for the children. Let me tell you something. My wife has more liberty as a stay-at-home wife and with children at home that she owns. She has more liberty than she would if she went off and got a career. You understand that? Yeah. You, understand? you know, I'm not saying she, my, you know, stay-at-home moms are probably the hardest working people on planet Earth. And if you don't believe that, sir, stay at home with your kids. Alright? It's not easy. And you know, and I'll tell you exactly why most women want to go get a career somewhere. Because it's easier to drop your kids off in a daycare center and go work than to actually raise them. And that's the truth. Amen. You know, but let, let me tell you this. Do you know that my wife, you know that nobody's making her check in and check out at a certain time? You know that she doesn't, you know, I mean, I'm her boss, right, at, at home. 
You know that I don't tell her like where she needs to be, where she has to go, when she can take her lunch. Really, my wife has liberty to do as she pleases. You know, she has responsibilities, homeschool the children, care for the children, responsibilities at home. But as long as she's doing what she's supposed to do, I basically go off to work. You know, I'm studying for sermons. I'm out sewing. I'm out taking care of church stuff with my job here at church. And she has all the liberty in the world. And yet people will look at her and say, hey, you're in bondage. Why? Because you're doing what God called you to do, which is raise your kids. And today, you'll tell a, a, a young girl will be taught, no, you'll be more liberated if you go work for yourself and support yourself. And God says, no, actually, I wanted it the other way. Are you there in 1 Timothy chapter 5? Look at verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says, I will therefore, that the younger one, you see the word will? This is Paul telling us God's will for a young lady's life. You say, I don't know what God's will for my life. Here's God's will for your life. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproaches. The will of God for every young lady is to marry, bear children, guide the house. And you know, God will give you children as He sees fit, and God will give you children in due time, but it is your job. Ladies, that's what God wants you to do. That's what God created you to do. And by the way, God created you in a unique way to be able to fit that role, to be able to raise a child that a man could never do. Skip down to verse, uh, or or go up to verse 8. Notice what the Bible says about men that will not support their families. 1 Timothy 5 says, But if any provide not for his own... And especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You know, let me, let me just tell you something. I want to tell you parents this because you've got to be training your kids to think in a certain way. And in our home, and I understand my daughter, you know, I've got a, I've got a two-year-old daughter and I've got a one-week-old daughter, okay? So I may be jumping the gun a little bit, you know, they're kind of young. But you know what? In our home, we will be teaching our daughters to, I'm going to teach them, you know, when it's time to start dating and looking for a guy to marry or whatever, I'm going to tell them, look, don't even talk, if a guy doesn't have a job, don't even talk to him. It, it's, it, it's not even worth your time. Listen to me. Ladies, have some respect for yourself. Okay? If he doesn't have a job when you're dating, and he doesn't have a job when you're engaged, you think he's going to get a job after you get married? It's not going to happen. If he can't respect you before you're married, he's not going to respect you afterwards. You know, and, and I, I, I'm going to teach our, wife, our daughters, and, and you ought to teach your daughters. You know, don't even, if a guy can't even hold out a job, look, I don't care what job he has, but get up and go work somewhere. Go earn an income. I'm going to teach our daughters, don't even be friends with a guy uh, that can't hold down a job. And you know what? These lazy men that want to go around and impregnate young girls, and they want to go around and have four different kids with four different women and not support any of them, you know what? The world can have that. My daughters are better than that. And you got to teach your kids that your daughters are better than that. Yeah, teach you, and you girls, you better learn that your, your body is pure, and God gave you that body, you got to protect it. And, and, you know, these guys with, with a lack of character, let some other girl happen. But you girls, you know, keep yourselves pure and clean from the world. Go to 2 Timothy chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians. You're there in 1 Timothy? Just right before that, you got 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me show you this first. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 10. We're almost, we're one-sixth of the sermon already, alright? We're doing good. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, if our society today... If, you know, if our government took this verse as the rule for how we do government, 
I mean, there would be dead bodies lying all over, all over the streets of America. Because our, we live in a society today where we support people who refuse to work. And you know, let it not be so among our churches. And let it not be so among our families. Raise your kids and teach your kids to work. Give them discipline. Help them to develop character. Verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Alright? So, what can we learn from Isaiah 4 and verse 1? Well, we learn that the judgment of God brings upon a, 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 a mindset where a woman would say, Marry me and I'll support myself. And God says, that's backwards, that's wrong. And yet today, women and children and young girls are being taught, hey, you know, you don't need a man to support you. Hey, listen, ladies, you deserve a man that will take care of you and that will protect you and that will provide for you. God made you in the fashion that that's what He's provided for you. Don't throw that away because some women's lip movement today. Go back to Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. So Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 1 kind of concluded that whole judgment scene. Remember, lack of leadership, lack of liberty. Remember we are talking about the neighbors are going to be snitching on each other from Isaiah chapter 3. And uh, we saw the lack of lowliness and the lack of humbleness. Isaiah chapter 4, look at verse 2. In that day. Do you see the, the same terminology as verse 1? Now, in that day, in Isaiah 4, 1, was talking about the day of judgment. In that day, in Isaiah chapter 4, 4 and verse 2, it's talking about the reign of Christ. Remember we talked about the reign of Christ, the millennial reign? Isaiah talks a lot about the coming reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2, we kind of change gears from in that day of judgment to in that day of God's reign. Now you ask, how do you know that verse 2 deals with the reign of Jesus Christ? Well, notice what it says. In that day shall the branch, notice that word branch, of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely. The word for comely means pleasant or attractive. For them that are escaped of Israel. So he talks about the day when the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Now, the branch, that, that term branch is a kind of prophetic term for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you. Let's just do a little bit of Bible study. Go to Isaiah chapter number 11. Look at verse 1. Isaiah chapter number 11 and verse number 1. If you're taking notes, let me jot these down under the term branch. Isaiah, we'll look at a few references. Isaiah chapter number 11 and look at verse number 1. Isaiah 11 and verse 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Do you remember Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. Remember that? And remember the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come from the lineage of David. If you, read the, the, if you read the genealogy found in the book of Matthew, chapter number 1, it takes you from Jesus Christ to David to Abraham, which was that seed that God had promised Abraham and that covenant that God had made with David. Isaiah 11 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. You see the word branch? Shall grow out of his roots. So a branch is going to grow out of the root of Jesse and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Look at verse 5. You're there in Isaiah. The next book is Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 23. Look at verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5. Jeremiah 23 and verse 5, the Bible says, Jeremiah 23 and verse 5 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, 
that I will raise unto David. Notice the reference of David. Now remember, Isaiah 11 referenced who? Jesse, who was the father of David. Jeremiah 23 actually referenced David. It says, Behold, the, the days... Uh, what am I reading? Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous... Notice this word, branch. Do you see that? He's going to raise from David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Go to Jeremiah 33. Look at verse 15. Jeremiah 33. Look at verse 15. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse number 15. Jeremiah 33 and verse number 15. The Bible says, In those days and at that time, I will cause a branch. Do you see that? I will cause a branch of righteousness to grow up unto who? David. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. Go to Zechariah. The last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Right before Malachi, you got the book of Zechariah. So right before Malachi, Zechariah chapter number 3. Look at verse 8. Zechariah chapter number 3 and verse number 8. Right before Malachi, you got Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3. And look at verse number 8. The Bible says... Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellow that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I love, I love how it's stated in Zechariah 3, For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. He just calls him the branch like that's his name, you know. And that's who? The guy that's going to raise up from uh, David and from Jesse, who's going to have the spirit of righteousness, who's going to uh, have wisdom and who's going to judge the earth. Go to Zechariah chapter 6, look at verse 12. Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. Zechariah chapter number 6 and verse 12. The Bible says, Zechariah 6, 12, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord, even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the counsel of the peace shall be between them both. The word branch in our Bible, sometimes you, you, our, our King James Bible is perfect and inspired and preserved. But sometimes, you got to understand, it's translated from, in the Old Testament Hebrew and in the New Testament Greek primarily. And sometimes words are translated differently. Not that they're wrong, they're translated correctly, but you have different translations of the same Hebrew word. And that word branch is also translated in our Bible as grew or spring or springing or, or to bud. And there in Zechariah 6.12, it says the branch, he shall grow up out of his place. Here's the idea. If you remember our little outline of the millennial reign of Christ, remember we were talking about we're going to have that battle of Armageddon. And God is going to fight the armies of the earth and he's going to destroy them. And then he's going to set his kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea is that out of all that chaos, remember verse 1 in that day, talking about the judgment of God. The idea is that out of all that chaos is going to grow the branch of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And something great is going to come out of the chaos of the battle of Armageddon. Uh, go back to Isaiah chapter 4. Look at verse 3. So, so we established that the in that day of verse 1 was the continuation of the day of judgment, right? Seven women are going to go to one man and say, marry us, we'll support ourselves, we'll put our kids in daycare, just please, you know, uh, let me marry you. And then in verse 2 we have in that day, and we
And we know that this is the reign of Christ because shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. Verse 3. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Now, dispensationalist, and maybe you don't know what the word dispensational or dispensationalist means, and if you don't know, good, don't worry about it, it's okay. Big waste of time, alright? But there's a, a movement or a teaching of, of dispensations. They say that the Bible is divided into different dispensations. And, you know, there's all sorts of different, uh, uh, you know, kind of how far they take that and how, how, how extreme they go. But dispensationalists like to take Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 3. And they like to say, see, at the end, you know, God is going to cause all of Israel to be saved. And they're going to say, they'll say, you know, everyone that is left in Zion, and he that remaineth in Jerusalem, shall be called holy. You see, God one day is going to turn all the Jewish Jews into His people. Now, I don't want to go into this real deep tonight, because just two weeks ago, on a Sunday morning, I preached a sermon called, uh, I think on the website it's called, Who Are God's Chosen People? And I went into a lot of detail in regards to, are the Jews of today God's chosen people? And, and we looked at, I, I think it was like 57 verses, and we proved it from the Bible, what that means. So I don't want to go into it a lot tonight, because I just dealt with it. If you're interested in that subject, you're welcome to listen to that sermon on our website. But I want you to understand something, okay? In verse 2, we established already that in that day was referring to what? The millennial reign, right? The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful, right? When the branch... You guys are you guys awake? Good night. We got six verses, okay? You guys gotta stay awake for the six verses. So we established... Okay, let me ask you this. In verse 3, was there another in that day? No. So have we changed subjects from verse... Because verse 1, there was in that day. Verse 2, there's in that day. So that's another in that day. Verse 3, there's no other in that day. So verse 3 is continuing the description of the in that day in verse 2. Am I, am I losing you? You understand what I'm saying? Verse 3 is continuation of the description of the day when the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely. Verse 3 is a continuation of the description of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So at the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, yes, those that are in Zion and those that are in Jerusalem shall be called holy and everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. You say, well, what is that talking about? you got to understand this. Isaiah is not talking about... Go, go to Romans, just to save us some time. Romans chapter number 11. Isaiah is not talking about the Jerusalem which now is. Remember we learned in Galatians a couple weeks ago about the Jerusalem which now is, which is in bondage? But Isaiah is talking about that heavenly Jerusalem or that Zion that cannot be touched with our hands. And he's talking about this future kingdom of God, this future Zion. Are you there in Romans chapter number 11? Look at verse 26. Let's just run through some of these references quickly. Romans chapter number 11. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, and so all Israel shall be saved. Now, there you go. Right? All Israel is going to be saved. So people say, see, all, all the Jews are going to get saved. And look, we're not anti-Semitic. We're not against the Jews. But you got to understand this. Jewish people, and specifically the Jews' religion, is a false religion like any other religion. They deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They deny, and you know, by the way, today we got a movement of Christians that are trying to align themselves with the Jewish religion. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, he that denied that Jesus is the Christ is Antichrist. And for you to try to align yourself with this Jewish religion, keeping the Sabbath day, and keeping the days of the 
you're aligning yourself with an anti-Christ religion. Do you understand that? The Bible calls it the synagogue of Satan. Jesus said that ye are of your father the devil. It is not a Jew. You know, people say to me, are you a Judeo-Christian? Well, was Jesus a Judeo-Christian? When Jesus looked at the false religion of Judaism and said, ye are of your father the devil? Jesus said, you don't follow Abraham. He said, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote of me. So for Christians to align themselves with this false religion of Judaism is just ridiculous. The Bible says it's an antichrist religion. The Bible says it's a wrong religion. But look at Romans 11.26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So people will say, see, in Romans 11.26, all Israel is going to be saved. But you've got to understand something. Before you get to Romans chapter number 11, you should have read Romans chapter number 9. See, and here's the problem with these people with false doctrines. None of them read their Bibles. Every time somebody comes to me with a false doctrine, the first thing I ask them, have you read your Bible cover to cover? 99% of them, no, I haven't. But I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. Okay, well, guess what? Watching YouTube videos is not reading the Bible. Listening to preaching is not the same as reading the Bible. I ain't got nothing wrong with preaching. I'm doing it right now. But search the Scriptures daily whether those things are so. That's what the Bible says. So before you get to Romans 11, you ought to read Romans 9. What does Romans 9 say? Look at verse 1. Romans 9, 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now notice what Paul is talking about. Verse 2. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now understand what Paul is saying. In verse 1 he says, I'm telling you the truth. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness. He, he's saying, I'm not lying to you. Why does he say that? He says that because in verse 3, he's going to make a statement that is so crazy that we're, people will assume, oh, you're lying. So before he even makes the statement in verse 3, in verse 1, he says, hey, listen, I want you to know, I'm telling the truth right now. He says, I'm not lying to you right now. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He says, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why? Verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Here's what Paul got done saying. He said, I wish that I could lose my salvation and go to hell if it meant that my family got saved. That's what he said. And he's talking about the nation of Israel, but he's talking about the physical nation of Israel. Because look at verse 3. He says, my kinsmen... You ever heard the term, you know, next of kin? He says, my kinsmen, according to the what? Flesh. Do you see that? Is anybody awake tonight? According to the what? What does it say? Flesh. According to the, let's say it together. Flesh. So what's he talking about? Israel, that's his flesh. Because Paul was a Jew. Look at verse 4. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption. Now, now you gotta, you got to follow this with me, okay? He's talking about a physical Israel. The Israel according to the flesh. He says, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, who are the fathers, and whom as concerning the flesh. Do you see that? As whom concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. Is it clear that Paul is talking about the physical Descendants of Abraham. He says, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He says, I'm talking about the flesh which Christ came. 
He said, the, the people that physically, that Jesus Christ, do you understand that Jesus was a Jew? I know you guys got pictures at home with Jesus, and he's got blonde hair and blue eyes, okay? But Jesus was a Jew, in case you didn't know that, all right? I, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, Caucasian. So anyway, that's not going over well. But I want you to understand this, okay? He's talking about, verses 1 through 5, he's talking about physical Israel, right? Saying, he's saying, uh, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Verse 6. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect. Now notice this, okay? Verses 1 through 5, he's talking about what? His kinsmen according to the flesh. Verses 1 through 5, he's talking about those whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. He's talking about the physical Jewish people. And then in verse 6 he says this, Not as though the word of God had taken an effect. Now notice this, For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. The word of means you came from. Notice what he said. He said, They are not all Israel that came from Israel. Now who was he talking about? The flesh. The, the Jews from the flesh. And now he's saying, But listen, if I could be accursed, so that my kinsmen, according to the flesh, could be saved. He said, I would go to hell if it meant that my brothers in the flesh could be saved. But he said, but then he says this, but not everyone who's Israel is of Israel. Talking about the person. You understand that Israel was an individual? Remember Jacob had 12 sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel? Remember that Jacob's name was changed to Israel? So he says, they are not all Israel which are of Jacob. Those that came from Israel are not all Israel. Look at verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but, notice this, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he says, look, not everyone that came from Jacob is Israel. He said, no, I love those people. In fact, I would give up my own salvation if it meant that I could see them saved. But he said, not everyone that descended from the loins of Abraham, not everyone that descended from the loins uh, 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 of the Jewish descendancy is Israel. He says, they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Verse 7, you gotta, you got to highlight verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all the children, but in Isaac shall I see be called. Go to Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 28. Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 28. Galatians 4.28, notice what he says. Galatians 4.28. I may be going a little deep for some of you, but you just need it. Alright, Galatians 4, look at verse 28. Now, Galatians was written to the church in Galatia, okay? Which, for those of you that don't know, were Gentiles. These were not Jewish people. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, now we, Galatians 4, verse 28. He says, now we. Okay, so Paul is including them, the church at Galatia, those Gentiles. He says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Is that not what he said? What did he say in verse 7? Neither because they are the seed of Abraham. Remember Romans 9, 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all the children. But in Isaac shall I see be called. And then in Galatians 4, 28 he says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So the Bible teaches very clearly that God... Look, Jesus already told the nation of Israel that he would take the kingdom from them. And he would give it to a nation which would bring fruits to them. The Bible has already told us that God was going to make a nation of people who were not a nation... And even in Isaiah, he tells them that I'm going to bring the Gentiles and I'm going to make a nation and I'm going to make them a peculiar people and they will be my people and I will be their God. 
And you've got to understand today, who are God's people today? You're looking at them. It is the New Testament believer. And today, here's the craziness to me. Today we have a movement of Christians that want to go back to that old Jewish, Judaism, anti-Christ religion. Do you understand that the Jews rejected Jesus Christ as Savior? And they rejected Him as... And today we got... No, we got to go back and be like the Jews. And I get a phone call every week. Somebody trying to tell me, you know, well, you're supposed to have church on Saturday. Show me in the Bible where anyone ever had church on Saturday. People say, oh, you're supposed to have church on Saturday. And I say, where do you get that from? And they'll take me to a, a, a verse in the Old Testament that says to rest on Saturday. Or says to bring your sacrifice on Saturday. Do you know that no one ever went to church in the Old Testament? You know that they didn't even have a church in the Old Testament? You know that the church was the entire congregation? Acts 7 tells us they were the church in the wilderness. You had no one, you know, these, these Seventh-day Adventists and these, you know, go back to the Hebrews roots women are trying to say, you're supposed to have church on Saturday. It's funny because in the New Testament, they had church on the first day of the week. And they tell us, you're supposed to have church on Saturday. Show me where anyone had church on Saturday. And well, in the Old Testament, it says to keep the Sabbath. Where does, where does it say in the Bible that that means you're supposed to have church? Can you show me that? Well, it means you're supposed to rest. Okay, take the day off. I don't have any problem with that. But the Bible says they... Worship on the first day of the week. And see, you know what gets you into trouble is when you listen to a bunch of preachers that aren't even saved. And you listen to a bunch of videos on the internet and you don't read the Bible. And you don't understand what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are the people of God. Go back to it. You've got to understand that concept to not mess yourself up. Because here's what people want to do. They want to give me verses from Isaiah and they want to give me verses from Ezekiel and they want to take them out of context. They don't even understand what they're reading because they read the book of Isaiah one time and they think they understand it. Come to me when you've read the Bible cover to cover 12 times and then we'll talk. How about that? Isaiah chapter 4, look at verse 4. Isaiah chapter 4, you say, Pastor Matt, I don't like this sermon. Here's, here's, here, you know what the problem is that we have? You didn't like this morning sermon because it was too practical. You didn't like this sermon because it was too doctrinal. You know, you're like, you're like, you know, it's like the pottage is too hot and, and then it's too cold. Okay, listen Goldilocks, just be happy with what's served, alright? Isaiah chapter 4, look at verse 4. Isaiah chapter 4, look at verse 4. Look what it says. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughter of Zion and shall purge the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. The spirit of judgment, the spirit of burning is a reference to the spirit of God. This verse is just teaching us that in heaven, in the millennial reign, in your glorified body, there will be no filth, there will be no sin. God is going to wash it away. God's going to give you a new body. But, but I want you to see this, okay? Go to Revelation chapter 20. Keep, keep your finger there on Isaiah. Because you remember Isaiah chapter 4? Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. And it shall come to pass that in that day that, that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Why is everyone in Zion and everyone in Jerusalem going to be called holy? Because everyone that's in Zion is a descendant of, of Isaac. And we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So when we all become, or all are, the nation of Israel, then everyone that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Now notice this, look at Isaiah 4.3. And everyone that is written among the living. Do you see that phrase? Written among the living in Jerusalem. What does that mean? Go to Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 14. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Revelation 20.14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. I'll give you a second to get there. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Revelation 20.14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found, notice this, written in the what? Book of life. Was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21.27. Revelation 21.27. And there shall in no wise enter it 
enter into anything that defileth. That's why you got to be washed away by the spirit of burning. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Notice this. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of what? Life. How do you get into heaven? If you're in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get to that Zion uh, when the branch of the Lord is there? If you are written among the what? Living. It's the same reference. Here's all it's talking about. Saved people. Because who are saved people? God's chosen people. Who are the elect? Those that are in Christ. Who are saved? Those that are in Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches very clearly. Go back to Isaiah chapter 4. Look at verse 5. We're almost done. There's only six verses. We're already in verse 5. Look what it says. Isaiah chapter 4. Look at verse 5. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and a shining of a flaming fire by night for upon all the glory shall be a defense. Now here, I I love this because he's illustrating for us what he's talking about. Okay, go to Exodus chapter 13. Let me just show you this real quickly. We're going to be done here really fast. Okay, verse 6 is going to be easy and we'll be done. Exodus chapter 13, look at verse 21. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Look what it says. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Genesis, Exodus. Okay, second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 13. 13, verse 21. Do you remember this from the Old Testament? And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud. Do you remember that? To lead them the way and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. Okay? So remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Remember there was a pillar of day that led them through the day and a pillar of night that led them by the night. It was there to show the presence of God and it was also there for the protection of God. Remember when the Egyptians were following after them? Remember that God put that fire there as a wall to keep them from each other? It was the protection of God. Go to Numbers 14. Look at verse 14. Numbers 14. Verse number 14. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 14. Look at verse 14. Numbers 14 and verse number 14. Numbers 14 and verse 14. You say, Pastor Menace, how do you get to a place where you've read, you've read the Bible cover to cover, uh, where I could read it uh, five times or twelve times, so then I could argue with you about doctrine. Uh, turn off Facebook. Turn off the Hellavision. Turn off YouTube and get you a Bible and start reading. It's that simple. It's just read the Bible. Numbers 14, verse 14. Look what it says. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people. So notice, they heard that the Lord art among this people. That thou, Lord, art seen face to face. And that thy cloud, notice, thy cloud standeth over them. And that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud. And in a pillar of fire by night. You, you may be saying, Pastor Jimenez, you lose me when you teach this whole, you know, Jewish thing. And now we're, they were God's people, now we're God's people. I don't understand it, okay? Here God gives us an illustration to understand it. You've got the Old Covenant and you've got the New Covenant. In the Old... Remember, Jesus said... He talked about the New Testament. In the Old Covenant, you had a nation where God said, this entire nation is my chosen people and I'm just going to give a blanket blessing to this nation. Now, in that nation, there were people that were believers and not believers... 
They still went to heaven or hell based on what they believed. But they had the blessing of God. They had the protection of God just by being under that blanket. And it's, it's, it's pictured in this pillar and this fire. Because the entire congregation of Israel, as it traveled through the wilderness, had this pillar of, of, of cloud, of smoke during the day to protect it from the heat and to lead it. And then they had the fire by night to give it warmth during the night. And then as the pillars moved, the people would move. And if the pillar stopped for a month, then they stopped for a month. If it stopped for years, then they would stop for years. If they would follow the pillar, they would follow the fire. And it was this huge blanket over the entire nation representing the presence and the protection of God. That's the old covenant. What's the new covenant? Under the branch, Jesus Christ. Go back to Isaiah chapter 4, look at verse 5. And the Lord, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5 will create upon, notice this, every dwelling place. What's a dwelling place? That's a house. Not a nation. Just every individual house. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies. What's an assembly? That's what we're doing right now. We're assembled together, right? That's a church service. Not the entire nation, just an assembly in the nation. The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon our assemblies, notice, a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night for upon all the glory shall be a, what was it? A defense, a protection, right? Here's the point. In the old covenant, the entire nation had this blanket blessing of protection of God. They had this huge pillar of fire and they had this huge pillar of smoke that protected the entire nation. Under the new covenant, every believer has his own cloud and his own fire. And in the new Jerusalem, you will actually see a dwelling upon individual dwelling places and upon assemblies. Because it's not a blanket over an entire nation anymore. It's given to every believer, everyone who's in Christ, and all those believers collectively make the new nation. Does that make sense? That's what he's teaching. That's what he's saying. He's saying, because he says, he says, if you look at Zion, if you look at Jerusalem, when the branch of the Lord is there, you could, you could get up on a high mountain and you could look across the valley and you would see these, this, this little cloud and this little fire on different individual dwelling places. Because here's the thing, the blessing now rests on individuals who are in Christ and those individuals in Christ collectively make the spiritual Israel. But in the old covenant, it was under the entire nation. Believers and unbelievers. Does that make sense? Hopefully that helps you understand a little bit of the new covenant and the old covenant. So, so here, and by the way, all that represents is the blessing of God. I talked about it at the men's preaching night. You could be saved and not have the blessing of God upon your life. I, I would imagine, I could imagine what it would say of our individual lives if today God allowed a physical cloud to cover me as His blessing. And a fire to cover. Remember Acts chapter 2? A fire was upon their heads. Okay, that's the same idea. That in the new Zion, it seems by the time around, and I'm not, this is just my personal guess, but it seems like you're going to have a cloud falling you around, giving you shade, you know, no need for hats. You know, you're going to have a fire there that protects you. Because remember, in the millennial reign, that's not heaven yet. Remember, there are still unbelievers. Remember Gog and Magog. They're going to raise up against Christ. There's going to be a, a one last battle. We're still going to be interacting with unbelievers during the millennial reign. So you got that cloud going amongst believers' houses to say, this is mine. I protect this. Just like it did for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah chapter 4, verse 6. Let's wrap this up. 
Isaiah chapter 4, verse 6, look what it says. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a covert from the storm and from the rain. The tabernacle, remember that was the house of God? In the Old Testament, you had a tabernacle that was the house of God. Eventually, the tabernacle was turned into the temple, which the Bible tells us became the house of God. And in that temple, in the New Testament, we're told that the church of the living God... Remember, that, what's that verse that we were talking about this, this morning? Good night. You memorize these verses, and then you can't quote them when you need them. 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. So what's the house of God for us today? It's that temple in Jerusalem. We've got to rebuild that temple. Really? Because what does the Bible say? But to behave thyself in the house of God, which is what? The church of the living God. The pillar of God of truth. So today, uh, look, I'm not looking for some temple. I, I am the temple. My body is the temple. Your body is the temple. And when we come together, we collectively become the temple. We collectively become the house of God. The pillar and ground of the truth. And you know what? As we come together as a congregation, you know what this place should be? Here's what describes the place. A shadow, a refuge, a covert. The word refuge means the condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. The word covert means to be under authority and protection. Generally, it's a word used for women talking about being under the authority of a a husband. But you and I are under the authority of our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is this, that when we come to church, church ought to be a refuge from the world. By the way, that's why we need church. That's why you need church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. People like to complain, you really think we should go to... Look, if we had church every night, you should go to it. Because we need to get away, we need to get away from the world. And the influence of the world, and the world that, you know, they want to bring us down, and they want to talk, you know, you go to work, and these kids, they go to school, and they got, and they got to deal with people, they're just not on our same page, they're not, do, you're not headed where we're headed, they don't think like we think, and you just need to be able to get away with God's people, and have a place, a, a place of refuge, a place of protection, a place where you walk in and you know God's presence is here. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. And and today that place should be the church. But one day that place will be the tabernacle when the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the branch, is reigning. And he's given us this picture, this hope of the society that we'll one day live in under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Lord, I know that Isaiah chapter uh, 4 is just six verses, but there's still so much truth in it. Father, I pray you'd help us to understand it. Help us to not get... To not get deceived by false doctrine. Lord, help us to be in the Bible, be in the Word. Help every person in this church to be reading their Bible this week. Help us tomorrow to wake up and take our Bibles, forget the internet, forget the, the, the newspaper, forget the radio, and pick up our Bibles and spend time with you. Lord, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.